I want to read today from the third chapter of the book of Colossians. Reading from verse 16, I'll read 35. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, that they may not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Now because this passage revolves around verse 17, let me read it again. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. If you were pressed for a definition of a Christian, most of you would probably say, well, a Christian is a person who believes in Jesus Christ. Or some of you might answer, a person, a Christian is a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. You would be correct. Well, let me add one other thing to that. A Christian is a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Now, for most of us, worship is what we do at a, a specific place at a specific time, on a specific day, a specific thing we do. Like what happens when we're in this worship service on, on Sunday morning. But the truth is that worship is not doing a specific thing at a specific time, at a specific place. That's just a part of worship. And if that's all you do during the week with regard to worship then you're not really a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. Worship is not so much what a person does as what a person is. So that a worshiper of Jesus Christ is a person whose nature and character is such that it worships. Um, and worship includes or reaches to every part of one's life, every aspect of his living. Now the Apostle Paul in verse 16 gives us a description of a worship service where we sing and we, we talk to one another about the Lord, psalms and spiritual songs and all that kind of thing. But in verse 17 he extends that to include every aspect of a person's life, every part of a person's being. So that worship really is this. It's doing everything 
we do in the name of Jesus and thanking God for it. Worship is doing everything we do in say and think in the name of Jesus and thanking God for it. Now he says, strangely enough, that when a woman, a wife, is being submissive to her husband in a biblical submission, she's engaged in worship. And when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, he's really worshiping the Lord when he does that. And he's saying that when a person goes off to work tomorrow, he can, he, he's going off to worship God. So that in the middle of next week, somebody come up to you and say, well, you know, what'd you do to yesterday? Well, I worship the Lord. Oh, and you say, well, I, I could have sworn I saw your car at work. I thought you were working yesterday. You say, well, I was. That's, that's my act of worship. So that worship touches every aspect of life. For us, worship is what we do at 1045 on Sunday morning. And that's why we have such an insipid Christianity. It's like that little note we put in sometimes in the songbook, do not remove from the auditorium. So all the worship we do is what we do at 1045 on Sunday morning. But Paul says that you can bring worship all the way down to the dinner table. And, and he said that whatever, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. So that worship is doing everything we do in the name of Jesus and thanking God for it. Now that involves three things. It means doing everything I do with the sanction of Jesus, with His approval. Now, one's name is associated with one's character and nature. So if I'm doing something in the name of Jesus, that means that I am doing what I'm doing. I do everything. Everything I do is consistent with the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, Christianity is not a, 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 a rule book religion. It's not a, the Bible is not a, a list of do's and don'ts regulations that everybody's supposed to follow. Now, if you come to the Bible and you're looking for a list of do's and don'ts that covers every part of your life, you're going to be hard-pressed to find that because the Bible is not a list of do's and don'ts. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and 4 that, that rules and regulations belong to a period of immaturity. You know that. You know, the younger the child is, the more do's and don'ts you have to have for them. The more immature they are, the more regulations they need. And as the child matures, you begin to remove the regulations and the list. When a person says, a Christian says, show me in the Bible where it says I shouldn't do that, you know that's the voice of an immature Christian. As a matter of fact, what if God thought of every question you and I would have with regard to the oughtness of life, and He put that down in a book? I mean, every thing that relates to everything you do that you wonder if it's right or wrong to do it. What if he puts that in a book? How big a book would that take? I mean, you couldn't get it in his auditorium. Certainly couldn't carry it around with you in your pocket. And, and, and even if God gave a list of rules and regulations that relate to your life and mine, it made absolutely no sense to the people in Paul's day. Can you imagine them going to the Scriptures and reading in and, and Paul's day, Thou shalt not watch X-rated movies? I can just see them scratching their heads, a theologian. One of them says, well, what is X-rated? They'll say, what's a movie? You know, 
Apollos, look it up in the original Greek and see if you can find what it means not to watch X-rated movies. I mean, that's ludicrous. As a matter of fact, a list of rules and regulations always have loopholes, always have ways out. So that the Bible is not a list of rules and regulations, it's a book of basic principles that relates to every part of every situation in your life. The Bible is a book of principles that is relevant to every situation in your life. So that when the Bible says that whatever you do, you should do that which only is consistent with the nature and the character of Jesus Christ. There are no loopholes in that. I mean, there's no way to get around that. You have to either be honest with yourself or you have to be dishonest with yourself. And is what I am doing and what I am saying, is that really consistent with the nature and the character of Jesus? What Paul is saying is this, that you ought to be able to sign Jesus' name on everything you do. So that business transaction you you do tomorrow, you ought to be able to sign Jesus' name on on the bottom line of that. And when you go to work tomorrow and you clock out, you ought to be able to sign Jesus' name on your time card and it look right in place. And what you do on Saturday night, you ought to be able to sign Jesus' name on that and be consistent. In other words, he's saying, you ought to be able to put a Jesus sticker on everything you do and it not be out of place. A friend of mine was sitting one day at a stop sign he said, I noticed that the guy across the, the street from me began to pull out, and he was going to pull out in front of this car coming. And he said, this, this, this lady was coming down the street, and she had the right of way, and this guy pulled right out in front of her, and he said, boy, she threw on the brakes and skidded around, and he said, they almost hit. And he said, that lady put her hand on the, on the horn, and he said, she just, kind of, she just sat out on that horn and just blew that horn for a half a block. And he said, you don't have to be an ex, you don't have to be an expert lip reader to, to, to know what she said. He said, what she said would have embarrassed a sailor. And he said, she literally cursed him out. And he said, as, as she went on down the street, he said, I noticed she had a bumper sticker on the back of her car that said, I had one of those big red hearts that we've come to know as love. I love Jesus. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, that sticker just seems so out of place on that car. And he said, you ought to be able, when you do something, to thank God for the opportunity of doing it. That's what he means when he said, do everything in the name of Jesus and thank God for it. You know how ridiculous this would be if a person tomorrow walking down the street, across the the street he sees somebody that ripped him off in a business deal and he hates him. I mean, he literally hates him. And when he sees him walking down the street, he, he has this anger and this hatred just boiling up inside of him. And he wishes he could kill him. And then he goes back to his office and he sits down and he thanks God for the privilege of thinking that thought. That's ridiculous, isn't it? I, you know, I thank you, Lord, for showing me that guy so I could hate him some more today. That's not, you know, what, what Paul is saying is this, that if you have an action or an attitude that you cannot thank God for, and if you have an attitude or an action that you cannot put a Jesus sticker on and it be right in place, then you're not living your life in the sanction of Jesus. It means doing everything 
with the sanction of Jesus. Secondly, it means doing everything in the strength of Jesus, by His strength. Now, to do everything in the name of Jesus, that's the same way as saying that I do everything by His strength. Now, watch this logic. Watch this carefully. If I have Jesus' sanction on everything I do, then I can count on His strength by which to do it. Did you hear me? If I have Jesus' sanction on what I'm doing, then I can count on Jesus' strength by which to do it. Now, there are some things that you might do that do not have the sanction of Jesus. Now, He's not going to overpower your will with His own will and prevent you from doing that. There might be a lot of things, even some good things, that you can do and are doing that do not have the sanction of Jesus on it. But you better be prepared to do that in your own strength, and you better be prepared for failure. You remember in the Old Testament when they decided they'd build a tower to God? It was one of the most uh, far-reaching and, 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 and marvelous social enterprises in the history of man to that time. They were going to build a tower to God. Seems like a worthy project socially, doesn't it? The only problem is they didn't have the sanction of God on it. And they were scattered and confused, except the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain who build it. Now one's name, the name of Jesus, is synonymous with Jesus Himself. I want to show you something revolutionary. If you do something in the name of Jesus, that means that you have been given the authority to everything Jesus is able to do. To do it in His name is synonymous with Him. I do it in Him. And so Peter and John, James and John came to the temple in the book of Acts, and they saw this guy sitting there begging. And Peter walked up to him and he said, I don't have any silver or gold, but such as I have, give I to thee in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he did. And what was happening there at that temple gate was this. He was doing what Jesus would sanction, therefore he had the authority to everything Jesus was able to do. Parents, God intends for you to raise your children in the strength of Jesus. Teenagers, God intends for you to live your life under the pressures that you experience in the name of Jesus. And that means that you have the authority to do everything Jesus did. You say, well, I don't know whether I can do all I got to do tomorrow. You don't have to. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. He didn't say, I'll give you help or I'll inspire you. He said, you do it in, as, it, as it's consistent with me, sanctioned by me. You find my will, I sanction that, approve it, and you have my strength to do it. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood. I want you to listen carefully. I don't want to sound like, you know, sacrilegious, and I certainly don't want to be misunderstood. But to do that in the name of Jesus means this. It's like we have a cosmic credit card so that we are able to do everything that God approves. You hear me? When you do that which Jesus sanctions by His strength, it means that you are able to do everything that God approves. It's in His strength. One last word. Doing everything in the name of Jesus and thanking God for it. 
means that I do everything with the sanction of Jesus, in the strength of Jesus. Here's the most important. For the sake of Jesus. Now I want you to miss the context there, and so that's why I ask you to keep your Bible open. I want you to notice the context. What he's talking about in verse 22 is not what happens in church. He says, Slaves and all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You know what he's saying here? He's not talking about what happens at church. He's talking about what happens when a man goes to work on Monday. And he's saying this, that what you do when you leave church, what you do in your business, in your work, is not for the person you call boss. What you're doing is for Jesus. You're not working for the boss. You're doing that work for Jesus. And he says in verse 23 and 24 that you're doing this out of reverence to Christ. Somebody said that, that when Jesus was a young man working in a carpenter shop, you knew he was a carpenter, working in his father's carpenter shop, that every yoke of, for oxen that he, that he made was, was something that God would accept. In other words... Every time he made something in a carpenter shop, God could take that right up in heaven and be just at home there. It was perfect. And I got to thinking about that. And I got, you know, came to my mind is that how much of a demand he must have been under to make oxen yokes. I mean, if you you were a farmer and you lived in Nazareth or nearby and you needed somebody to make a yoke for your oxen, who are you going to call on? You're going to call on Jesus because you know he has the reputation that every one he makes would fit right in in heaven. Perfect. I mean, it must have been a tremendous demand on him. So that everything he did, he did as though he were presenting it to God himself. Now, if I'm a student, you know what kind of teacher I want? I want a teacher who teaches every class as though they were teaching Jesus Himself. And you know, if I'm a teacher, you know what kind of pupil I want want in my class? I want the kind of pupil who does every theme and takes every test and does all their homework as though they're going to have to present that to Jesus Himself. That's the kind of pupil I want. And if I'm an employer, you know what kind of an employee I want? Not somebody who recognizes me as boss, but him as boss, and who comes to work every Monday morning, every day of the week, and presents that work unto the Lord. Now occasionally a a parent, a housewife, a mother will say to me, um, you know, by the way, uh, I do have some sympathy for for mothers and housewives. When, when Michelle was about six months old, Margaret got real, really sick and had to go to the hospital. It was Christmas time. And I decided I'd play Mr. Mom. You know, I'm kind of a traditionalist, a sentimentalist, and I want Christmas always to be the same every year. And I wasn't too excited about having a lot of in-laws in, you know, and, 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 and laws in either, you know. My own, my, you know. I just wanted Christmas to be like it, was, it always was. So, I, you know, folks in my church said, well, let us take care of the baby. I mean, she's six months old. And let us fix Christmas. No way I was going to do it myself. 
And after about three weeks of playing Mr. Mom, you know, I do have a little uh, more sympathy for that job. And occasionally, a housewife and a mother will say to me, you know, I, I do all this stuff at home. I, you know, wash dishes day after day and laundry and, and house cleaning and cooking. And say, my husband, my kids don't even appreciate it. And they probably don't. The only answer I have to that person is, well, you're not doing that for them. You're doing it for Jesus. And occasionally I'll have a guy say to me, I break my back at work and I put my nose to the grindstone and nobody appreciates it. The only answer I have to that is, you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for Jesus. And that person that comes to work on Monday morning, he's not working for that person he calls boss. He's working for the Lord Himself. And Dorothy Sayers was right when she said, Work is not primarily something we do to live. It's something we live to do. And it is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculty and the thing by which he finds bodily, mental, and spiritual satisfaction and the medium in which he offers himself to God. Did you hear that? that the thing you do tomorrow at school or in the marketplace is the medium by which you offer yourself to God. And I heard about this saintly monk by the name of St. Anthony. He wanted to be the most pious man. He prided himself as the godliest man in the world. But he heard that there was somebody else in the community who was as pious or more so than he. And he wanted to find him and find his secret. And his name was Conrad. He went to his house. And he said to Conrad, I'm, I'm St. Anthony. I understand that you're the most pious, godly man in the world. And Conrad blushed at the flattery. He said, no, no, I'm serious. And I want you to tell me the secret of your piosity. And Conrad said, I mend shoes. And I mend shoes as though they belong to God. Why, Martin Luther said that even a, even a dairymaid can milk cows to the glory of God. I do it for the sake of Jesus. That involves three implications. Let me give you those and I'm through. It means that I'm to do what I do honestly. Now that's what he's talking about in verse 22. He says that we do this not, what we do what we do out there beyond the church in the, in the world, not what he calls with external service. If you've got a King James Bible, it says not as, as uh, men pleasers or I pleasers. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about people who do just the bare minimum to get by. And what he's saying is this, that if you do this for the sake of Jesus, it means that you work the same way when the boss is gone as you do when he's there. It means that you're the same kind of student when the teacher's out of the room as you are when the teacher's in the room. It means that you're the same kind of person when somebody does not see you. Somebody said you really know what a person's like when he's off somewhere in, in secret. It's when you're the same kind of person 
acting the same way, doing the same thing when somebody's there and somebody's not. And since it's close to IRS time, it's this, a guy filling out his income tax as though the IRS agent was watching over his shoulder. That's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, you ever seen somebody you know and the boss walks in and they jump up boy, and they go to work? It's like a person who takes the same coffee break when the boss is away as he would if the boss were there. That's what he, it's like a person who no longer sweeps the dust under the living room rug. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon met this little woman who was a maid, a servant in, a, in one of his members' house. And he, he knew she had just been saved a few weeks before. And he, he stopped her and he said, What difference has your salvation made? And she said, The primary difference is that I no longer sweep dust under the rug. You do it honestly. Secondly, it means that you do it heartily. He says in verse 23, Whatever you do, do your work heartily. It seems to me that if a person can thank God for what he's doing, then he can do it enthusiastically. I mean, if you complain about all, you know, are you one of those people who just gripes and complains about what you have to do? Then you need to do some checking on your own disposition or get your new job. A few months ago, I was doing my quiet time and I was praying for some of you. <clears throat> Don't ask me what I was praying, but I was praying for some of you. And, and while, I was, while I was doing my quiet time, you know what? God just spoke to me in my heart and said, Tidwell, son, rather than pray for all these changes and complain to me about all that's done or not done, what you need to do is to begin to thank me because you're the most fortunate and blessed man in the whole world. Do it heartily, enthusiastically. Third, do it hopefully. Now look at verse 24. It says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. Now, I know that sometimes we're told we're not supposed to do what we do because for a reward, you know, pie in the sky. We're told, you know, you're not supposed to work for the Lord so you can get rewarded for it. Well, Paul says you are. And he says, you need to remember that what you're doing is going to be rewarded and you need to do it honestly and enthusiastically because you're going to be rewarded for it. Now, here's the kicker. What he's saying is this that if you're a faithful salesman and you do that work as a salesman under the sanction of Jesus and by the strength of Jesus, you'll receive the same reward that I'll receive if I'm faithful as a minister. Believe it or not. It's not that you'll receive a reward. You'll receive the same reward. So if you're a faithful physician, a faithful teacher, a faithful housewife, a faithful employee, and you do that every day in the, under the sanction of Jesus, you're going to be rewarded with the same reward as the best missionary you ever heard. And we do that for that reward. 
You think God is going to take life and divide it into little pieces of pie and say, well, now, you were faithful to come to church, so I'm going to reward you. No. He's going to look at all of life, and He's going to see you as a faithful child of God in every aspect of your life, and you're going to receive the reward in those aspects. So when you go to work tomorrow, and you do that in the name of Jesus He's going to reward you with the same reward I'm going to receive if I'm serving God here faithfully tomorrow. Isn't that wonderful? I can see you're all excited about it. Here is what life is, the Christian life. Worship is. It's doing everything with the sanction of Jesus, in the strength of Jesus, and for the sake of Jesus. Does that sound like anybody you know? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll help us to recognize that the Christian life goes far beyond 1045 on Sunday morning. And convict us. Convict us, Father. If there is any attitude or any action that you do not approve, and help us to judge that by the basis on the basis of how much strength we have in doing it. Most of all, Father, help us to understand that what we're about in this world is to please Jesus and convict us when we don't. For I pray in His name and ask for His sake. Look here, please. There are three invitations this morning. I want to make them just as clear as I can. The first invitation is for you to become, take the step to become a lifetime follower of Jesus Christ. To surrender all that you know about yourself to all you know about Him. A little child came into my office this week. We went through the same process of understanding what it means to be saved. I just give all I understand about me to all I understand about Him in trustful surrender, to follow Him. But there may be some this morning who need to unite, who need to place their life in the church. Or there may be some this morning whose actions and attitudes do not have the sanction of Jesus. You're not doing it for Him. And you want to come this morning to that commitment of your life to please the Lord, whose name we pray and worship and serve. While we stand, we invite you to come on the first word.